Well, good morning, church. Good morning to our friends that are worshiping with us online. It's so good to be with you on this chilly, chilly Sunday morning. And uh, how about country music worship, huh? It's good. It's good. I was sitting there thinking of uh, three movies kept coming to my mind. First one was Three Amigos. And uh, the second one was Tombstone, because we're killing it. And the third one was a totally different Roadhouse because of the pedal steel. Is that what it's called? Steel pedal? Pedal steel. And because James learned a new instrument uh, for Sunday, and so uh, I just thought that was really cool. If you haven't seen Roadhouse, you won't get it, but that's okay. I don't, I don't recommend it. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it was uh, just such a good time of, of worshiping uh, to the country genre, and uh, I'm, not, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not any country. Like, I think someone used to sing, I'm a little bit country, I'm a little rock and roll. I'm not, no country at all. And uh, so it was, it was good. It was good. I liked it. It was all right. Um, so, just kidding. So, uh, so we're going to have a great morning this morning. We're going to continue our series on this is uh, what we do. We're talking about generosity, right? We've been talking about generosity. We started last week. Uh, we're going to finish it up next week. And, uh, and so we're talking about how when we give, God multiplies. And, uh, and I want to ask you a quick question. And, uh, and you have to be honest. Like, you got to promise me that you're going to be honest. Answer the question honestly. And the quick question is this. How many of y'all love stuff? How many of y'all love stuff? All right, the rest of you are lying. It's okay. Um, and so uh, I, I'll be honest with you. I love stuff. I'm a recovering stuff addict, and uh, I love buying stuff. I, I get excited. Um, I get excited about things that I see on sale that I never thought I needed, but I had to have. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm recovering. My name is Rick. I'm a recovering stuff addict. And, uh, and I don't know if you ever feel that way. Like, you just like, man, I didn't need that. Like, I really didn't need that. I mean, like Amazon, I kind of got over Amazon uh, and, uh, and, and, and gotten over that. And then I found Timu. And uh, man, that thing is like the devil. I'm just going to tell you right up front. And, uh, and so, but there's stuff. And, and, and we like our stuff, right? Like, we love our stuff. And I don't know if you knew this or not. But uh, in the Bible, there's 66 books in the Bible, and all the way from Genesis to Revelation, God talks about uh, the topic of money and possessions over 2,000 times. And, and it makes you wonder, is God obsessed with money and, and, and possessions, or did he just know that we would be obsessed with money and possessions, right? And, uh, and, and those of you who are parents... And uh, I want you that are parents to think back when you had your first child, when you had that first kid, right? And they were born and, and they were perfect in every way. It was like an angel from God. I mean, they were perfect. They could do no wrong. And then something happened about the age of 18 months and you discovered that your, kin, your, your kid was a, uh, a wretched sinner just like you. You did. All of you did. And, and Belle, you'll figure this out uh, soon enough. But, uh, but they grab the toy, right? Like it's 18 months. They grab a toy and there's another kid in the room with them and they grab that toy and, and a word comes out of their mouth that is just, uh, just the most evilest word you've ever heard. It's the word mine, right? Like they say, mine, mine, mine. It's like the first word they ever learned. And, and when there's anybody around, any other kids around, they start even thinking about uh, that toy that's in their hand. They just automatically go, mine. And, uh, and it doesn't stop. From that point on, it's just that way the rest of the life. And, and for almost every human, for almost every one of us in the room, uh, the first glimpse of sin in our lives is the sin of selfishness. And that's, I think, why God speaks so much over 2,000 times about money and about possessions. And I believe that our God knows, that God knows that the number one thing competing for your heart and my heart is money and stuff. 
That's the number one thing that competes for our heart. And, but as followers of Jesus, like when we, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, when we live the Jesus-centered life, I want you to know that we are no longer selfish people, but we become open-handed people. That we no longer are closed-fisted, holding on tight to our stuff kind of people. But when we live the Jesus-centered life, all of a sudden God transforms us and we become open-handed people. You see, you and I, we, we, those of us that are yet said yes to Jesus, we want to be influential and, and we want to be generous because that's who God made us to be. That's, that's what we do. And we live as these open-handed people. And so last week, last week we said this, we said that we are going to be a church, that Warehouse Church is going to be a church that leads the way in extra, extravagant generosity because we believe that it's more blessed to give than received. And we talked about this idea of scarcity last week. And we, we talked about living the scarcity cycle. And so for those of you that weren't with us, let me just real quick recap uh, this idea of how the scarcity cycle works. And, and it's right up there on the screen for you. And it all begins with God's supplies. Like God supplies everything that we have. And, uh, and so God supplies it. And then we begin to consume, right? Right? Like we begin to buy, we begin to get on Amazon and Timu and we begin to spend money and, uh, and we consume stuff. And after consuming for a while, guess what happens is we start lacking because we've spent and then we realize that there's more month left than there is money. And, uh, and so we, we lack and, uh, and we, we realize there's not enough. And then after we realize that there's not enough, that brings us into a place of feeling uh, fear and anxiety. And we're like, how are we going to make it? Like, there's just not enough. How are we going to do this? And, and fear sets in and anxiety sets in because there's not enough. And so what do we do? What do we do with that fear is we self-medicate by consuming more. And we consume more, and then because we consume more, we lack even more. And because we lack more, we're, we're back to that fear and anxiety. And it's just a vicious cycle that continues on and on in our lives. And this is how many people in America live. They live with the scarcity model. But today, I want us to dive a little deeper uh, into this. And, and if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. The scarcity cycle starts in the mind, not in your wallet. That this idea of living in a life of scarcity, it all begins with the way that you think. It doesn't begin with your wallet. That's not where it starts. It begins with your mind. And Proverbs 23.7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. As he thinks in his heart, so are you. And so every choice you make, your lifestyle, your spending, your attitude, it can all point back to the way you choose to think about the world that you live in. So you think, so you are. And so this morning, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you and, and to ask yourself, better yet, I want to challenge you to ask God this question. I want you to challenge you to ask God, God, am I thinking in the right way? Like, where's my thinking? Where's my thinking when it comes to generosity? How am I thinking? Am I selfish? Am I thinking about me first and others second? Or am I thinking about others first and myself last? God, am I thinking in the right way? And in a minute, we're going to look at one of the greatest um, miracles that Jesus ever performed. It's in Mark chapter 6 in your Bibles. If you want to go ahead and open them up or you want to get on the YouVersion Bible app and find Mark chapter 6, and it's the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. But before we jump into it, I want to give you some context uh, because Jesus didn't actually feed uh, 5,000. 
He fed more like 15 to 20,000 people. 15 to 20,000 people. And in Jesus' time, Jews, uh, they only really counted um, men when they were counting crowds. So, on, uh, you know, at synagogue, they were counting the men. They didn't count the women. They didn't count the children. If there was a crowd at the marketplace and they wanted to get a number, they would only count the men. They wouldn't count the women or the children. And so the 5,000 that we see recorded in Mark's gospel really is 15 to 20,000 because they didn't include the women and the children. The reality is that Jesus is about to preach to and about to feed the equivalent of a packed Rupp Arena. Like it's packed, 15 to 20,000 people. So that's where we're at. That's the setting uh, on a hill on the mountainside, 15 to 20,000 people. Jesus getting, has been preaching to them. And, uh, and here's where we dive in in Mark chapter six, beginning in verse 34. It says, when Jesus landed, so he, had, uh, he and the disciples had crossed the sea, they landed, and he saw a large crowd. And I love what Mark says next. It says that Jesus had compassion on them. And I love that because when Jesus looks at me, it reminds me that when Jesus looks at me, he's like, oh, oh Rick. <laughs> he's like, he has compassion on me because beyond my circumstances, beyond the things that are going on in my life, Jesus loves me. And he loves you. And I want you to know that today. If you don't understand that, that Jesus is madly and crazy in love with you. And when he looks at you, he has compassion on you. So it says that he had compassion on them because, why? Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began teaching them many things. And by this time, it was late in the day. And so his disciples came to him and, and said, this is a remote place, they said. And, and it's already late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And I can, I can just picture the scene. And, and, you know, all these people on the mountainside, Jesus preaching and, uh, and Peter. I just, I just automatically go to Peter. Peter is the one. The disciples are like, hey, Peter, like it's getting late. We're getting kind of hungry. You need to go tell Jesus to wrap it up. And so Peter comes up and he's like, Jesus, man, he's like, this sermon, this sermon is amazing. And you know that 18th point, that 18th point that you made, that was incredible. It was life-changing. Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to post that on my Instagram account. It was so good. But hey, but Jesus, you know what? You you know, it's getting kind of late. Like, you know, you know, the sun, right? You see this, you, you know, the sun, you made the sun, right? Peter's like, and, and you look at it, we, look at the time. It's getting late. And, and well, there's not really an apple bee, bees nearby. And so, so maybe, you know, I'm fine. Like Peter's like, I'm fine. I'm good. But you know, Andrew and Philip over there, they're getting kind of hangry. Like they're getting hungry. And, and, and I'm imagining if they're getting hungry, the people out there are probably getting hungry. So, so Jesus, why don't we wrap this up tonight? Like, why don't we wrap this up? Why don't you dismiss everyone so that they can go to the neighborhood nearby and they can buy themselves something to eat? Everybody say bye. bye. And I want you to notice something in, in today's scripture is that the disciples are so focused on buying and spending. And they say it over and over again so that they can buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus... I love it. Jesus had something different in mind, something completely different in mind. And in verse 37, it goes on and it says, but he being Jesus answered, why don't you give them something to eat? Everybody say give. 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 See, the disciples are so preoccupied with what they were going to have to spend, with what they were going to have to buy and, and what they're going to have to do. But Jesus, Jesus doesn't say a word about what they're going to have to buy. He simply said, why don't you give them something to eat? Give. This is what we do. So let's, let's keep reading. Verse 38, it says, they said to him, and here we go, just checking it out, a spoiler alert, more about money. Uh, they said to him, 
That would take more than a half a year's wages, Jesus. Are we going to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? They're like, Jesus, we we, got to buy. Like, how are we going to buy all this bread for them? And Jesus asks a question. And I love that Jesus often uh, replies with a question, right? Like, he he always asks a question. He asks a question, and, and it's a question that I really pray that maybe you'll ask yourself today. Verse 38 goes on and says, Jesus asks the question, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, we got five loaves and two fish. And they found this little boy, and they find the little boy that happened to have a sack lunch made of five loaves of barley and extra credit, by the way, Jesus, you didn't ask for it, but we also got a couple perch to go along with the five loaves of bread. And that's awesome, right? And so this story is happening and, and they're all in the middle of it. Even the little boy with the little sack lunch, they're all in the middle of it. And the people out there, and they are getting hungry. And their kids are probably like, man, it's getting kind of late. Mom, I'm getting kind of hungry. And, and, but here's what's going on. And this is what we're going to see. We're going to see two groups of people uh, that were viewing the same scenario with radically different mindsets. And so the first one is this. The disciples, they viewed this whole process through a mindset of scarcity. They're like, Jesus, there's not enough. We got five loaves, we got two fish. It's gonna run out. It's laughable how little we have. I mean, Jesus, have you looked out there? Like, no, 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 there's a a few thousand people. uh, There's more than that. There's like 15,000 people out there on the hill. How are we gonna do this? How, how, How are we gonna do this with the little that we have in light of how much we need? And I bet you've been there before. Maybe you're living in this right now, this mentality that where you're, you've started to get ahead. Maybe you put a little money in the bank account and financially uh, you're, you're getting a little ahead, but then something like expensive breaks in the house. Maybe your refrigerator goes down or maybe your washer and dryer goes down or, or maybe your car breaks or maybe there's this uh, medical bill that comes in and you're like, man, it is ridiculous. You're like, it's so ridiculous uh, what I have in light of how much I need. And maybe you're living with this mentality that there's never enough. And I'm not trying to dismiss these crises that come into our lives because we all will find ourselves in one season or another uh, and we'll find ourselves having to do this sooner or later. But here's the thing. And here's the thing I want you to hear that if you let the scarcity kind of living get into your head, If you let this isolated circumstance where this big bill comes and you have to pay it and it becomes the mindset of the rest of your life, that when you begin to say there's never enough, it just becomes the way you think for the rest of your life. There's never going to be enough and it's living in scarcity and I don't believe that God has called us to live with this mindset in our lives. However, There's another person in the story that views this circumstances from vastly different lens, a completely different lens. And Jesus, Jesus viewed it through the lens of abundance. In other words, he believed it with the belief that there's more than enough. That Jesus wasn't concerned because there's only five loaves and two fishes. He was like, that's more than enough. And you fast forward to the end of the story. If you go down to the bottom and and you read about the end of the miracle and scripture says this, it says that they all, everybody say all, All. they all ate and were satisfied. That every person on the hill, all 20,000 of them ate and were satisfied. And after the disciples cleaned up, 
There were 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over. Everyone say leftover. Leftover. How many of y'all like leftovers? I'm just foreshadowing what's coming up, right? Like I love turkey sandwiches the next day. And, every, and it says everyone uh, said that there was leftovers, enough for leftover. And track with me for a minute. Because five loaves of bread and two fish, the disciples view that and say, Jesus, it's not enough. And Jesus looks at it and says, that's more than enough. The disciples say, Jesus, this is laughably small. Like, I'm looking at this and I'm looking at them. There's no way. And Jesus says, really? I think it's plenty. You see, scarcity always asks this question, what can I afford? That's what scarcity says. It says, what can I afford? And, and someone operating with a mindset of scarcity is consumed with this thought of what can I afford? There's never enough. How are we going to do this? What can I afford? And you know, there's churches. There's even churches that live with this mentality. But we can't afford to do that. There's no way we could do that. There's not enough money in the bank to do that. What can I afford? But an abundance thinker asks a completely different question. They ask the question, what do I have? They ask the question, what do I have? Because what I have there is infinitely more where that came from, right? Like God's bank account's never gonna go out. It's not gonna run out. You can't out God, outgive God. And that's what abundance thinkers think is what do I have? Now, let me help you make this real. I read this uh, amazing story this week about a single mom. She had two kids and, and she, uh, she has not slept in a bed for four years. Now, she owns a bed, but her kids sleep in that bed and she sleeps on the couch. And there was a couple in her church who heard about this and heard the need, and, and they were abundance thinkers. And they asked the question, what do we have? They looked at each other, they sat down around their table, and they said, what do we have? And, and they said, well, we have a guest room, and in that guest room, there's a bed that maybe is slept on twice a year, and so that's a need that we can meet. And so they're like, you know what? We're in. And this is what we do. And they loaded up the truck and they took the bed to the single mom's home. But you know the, what uh, abundance thinkers do? They don't just bring what is needed. They always bring an upgrade, right? Like there's always extra credit. There was five loaves, but there was also two fishes. And so they brought an almost new bed to the single mom's house, but they also brought a dining room table with six chairs. They're like, hey, we got that dining room table in the garage. Why don't we take that to you? And that night... That single mom, for the very first time in four years, slept in her own bed. And bonus, they got to sit at a table as a family for the very first time and have a meal together on a, around a table. You see, this is what we do. This is who we are. We want to be a church that is extravagant in our generosity because we believe it's better to be uh, blessed, more blessed to give than to receive. And so we always ask this question, what do I have? Is there a need that I can meet? So the next day, the story doesn't end there. That mom, the single mom, she calls the couple up and she says, you know what? I just want to thank you for being a blessing. It was so good to sleep in my own bed last night. It was so good to have the kids around the same table. And, and she said, I cannot wait. She says, I cannot wait to be in a position financially where I can do for someone else what you did for me. And I love the wisdom of this couple as they respond. And the couple says, said to her this, they said, you know what, sweetie? That day is today. 
She, they said to her, I promise you, there is something that you have, whether it's your time or your prayers or something in your house, there's something that you have that you can give away. They're like, I know that it seems like you are broker than broke, but there is something that you have that would be a blessing to someone else. And those words wrecked that single mom's life, and she thought about it. And in that moment, she realized, you know what? They're right. I have a neighbor that lives two doors down who just had a baby a week and a half ago, and, and you know what she doesn't have? She doesn't have a rocking chair to put that baby to sleep. And what do I have? I have a rocking chair that just sits in the corner. So that single mom grabs that rocking chair and marches two doors down and gives the rocking chair to that brand new mom so that she could rock her baby to sleep. And, and, and she, she's never been more broke never been more broke in her life, but she has something to give. And I need you to hear me on this. Many of us, many of us have this mindset that when my bank account gets bigger or when my salary is higher, that that's when I'm going to be open-handed. And let me just tell you some truth that you're just lying to yourself, that the bank account will grow, your paycheck will get higher, and you will continue to hold on close-fisted until you make a decision to live a life that's open-handed now, right where you are. You see, last week we learned that the more that we make, that the tighter our grip comes on our stuff. But today, today is a new day. And today we ask the question, what do I have? God, what is it that I have? Today we say this, or at least my hope is, that God, everything I have is yours. Use it in whatever way that you want. What would that look like for you to live by that, to say, God, everything that I have is yours. Use it in whatever way you want. If my neighbor needs tools, I have tools. My neighbor needs a shovel, I have a shovel. My neighbor needs a vacuum, I got one of those, an extra one of those. Whatever it is that I have, use it for whatever you want. And here's the thing, church. Here's the thing is that when we get closer to Jesus, when we really truly live the Jesus-centered life, we realize that he completely redefines what can be done with a little. That what can be done with a little? What can be, be done with a dollar? What can be done with a bowl? What can be done with a rocking chair? What can be done with a little? And I believe that God, I truly believe this, that God wants to redefine for us what can happen with what seems so ridiculously small. Like, what can be done with that? The truth is, if you live with a mindset of fear and anxiety, there's not enough. You're living with this idea that there's not enough. Your life will always be marked by fear and anxiety. And let me just tell you some truth that that's not God's purpose for your life. God never created you to live a life of fear and anxiety. It's just not. Jesus himself even said these words in John 10.10. 10. He says, the thief uh, does not come except to steal and kill and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life, that they may have it. And that they, by the way, that's you, that they may have life and that they may have it more what? Everybody say it. Abundantly. abundantly. That you might have life more abundantly. Let me just share with you that the character of God, everything about the nature of God is extravagant and generous. That God's character is a God that is generous and extravagant. He's abundant. He wants us to live the abundant life because that's who he is. 
And therefore, if he lives the abundant life, how much more does he want his children who he has adopted into his family to live a life of abundance? Again, this isn't prosperity gospel. This isn't uh, give me abundance to make my bank account grow. Give me the abundance so that I can have a Ferrari in my driveway. This is the abundance of God. Whatever you give, I want, to, I want you to multiply it so I can be generous and bless those who are around me. So why do so few of us experience the life of abundance? Why do so few experience this in our lifetime? Well, let me just share with you for the rest of our time two ways that I think that we experience the abundant life. And if you're taking notes, I just want you to write this down. Number one, God multiplies what is blessed. God multiplies what is blessed. Mark 6, 40 and 41, uh, it tells us that, 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 that all these people, these 20,000 people, they sat down in groups of 50 and 100. And I love that. I love that they broke down into communities, right? Like they broke down and they said, hey, your family, my family, let's all our families get together. And they break down into circles. They circle up into these groups of 50 to 100. And Jesus took the five loaves and he took the two fish. And Mark says that looking up to heaven, he blesses the food. He blesses the food. And let me just share with you some truth that when God blesses anything in our lives, it's a powerful thing. That when God blesses anything in your life, it's a powerful thing. And how does that relate to our finances? Well, here's the thing. When we give God the tithe, it releases the blessings over every part of our life. And when we trust God with our finances, when we give God our first fruits, it blesses every other part of our life. I want us to look at Malachi 3.10 again today. We looked at it last week, but, uh, but here's what I want you to know. I want you to know Malachi, he is a, a minor prophet. They call him a minor prophet uh, in the Old Testament. He's one of the last three prophets before Jesus came. And Malachi is speaking to the people of God on behalf of God. And here's what he says in verse 10. He says to the, to the people of God, bring the whole tithe. Everybody say whole tithe. It says, bring the whole tide, not roll tide. Did someone say roll tide? No. Oh, shameful, shameful. I'll be praying for your salvation. He said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And then he says this. He says, test me in this. Everybody say, test me. He says, test me in this, the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessings that there will be a not, not, not enough room uh, to store it. So, so Jesus is talking, or, or Malachi is talking about the tithe. And remember last week what we said, we said that, it, that the tithe is not just 10% of our income, but we said that the tithe is the first 10% of our income, that God must be first. And when we give to God first, the rest of your life is in order. And so God says, uh, bring the whole tithe, bring the whole thing first into the house. And then next thing God says, he says, test me. He's like, I dare you. Test me and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessings, there will not be enough room to store it. And I think about that. I'm like, man, that's so exciting. But then I thought as I was reading it this week, I'm like, what are the floodgates of heaven? I don't know if you've ever read this because it's a familiar passage, but how many of us have ever thought about, well, what did God mean when he said floodgates of heaven? And this phrase, floodgates of heaven, it's only used three times in the Old Testament. 
It's used once here in Malachi. It's used another time in 2 Kings. But the very first time that God uses the phrase floodgates of heaven, it was in Genesis. And, and it was in reference to the flood, uh, the reason that Noah had to build the big ark. Remember, he had to big, build that big boat, and all the animals went on twosies by twosies and, and to save humanity. And that this was the first time The first time that the phrase floodgates of heaven was used, and this is the way God has chosen to illustrate his blessings when you put him first, when you trust him with your finances, when you put him first in that area of your life, God says, I'll open up the floodgates of heaven. And so what do we know about the flood? Well, the first thing that we know is that it was a ridiculous amount of water, right? It was a ridiculous amount. How many of y'all say Evan Almighty? Like you get a picture of it from Evan Almighty. If you haven't seen it, go home and watch Evan Almighty. It's not a Christmas movie, but we'll call it one. So go home, watch Evan Almighty. It's a great uh, illustration of that. But it was a ridiculous amount of water, and Scripture says there was no part of the earth left untouched, that every part of the earth was drenched and soaked and submerged in water. And God's like, how will I bless you? He's like, what's it going to look like? He's like, it's going to be more than you could ever imagine. It will be like a huge dam breaking and pouring out into our lives. Like you just can't get behind how much the floodgates of heaven are going to bless your lives. And it's not that, and I think that we get this mentality that, that God's like being stingy. Like I think sometimes we're like, yeah, I've heard this before that, that as soon as I pay up, then God's going to throw me a bone, right? Like we get this attitude that that's what tithing is. The tithing is I give God a little and then he throws me a bone. And that's not at all God's attitude when it comes to tithing. And I love this. And I want you to check this out because here's what God is saying. He's saying this. He's saying, listen, when I find a heart that puts me first. When I find a heart that puts me first, that's a heart that I can entrust the abundance of heaven to. A heart that puts me first is a heart that I can open up the floodgates of heaven to. And I want you to think about this. This is so true. Because if my heart is all about me, if my heart is selfish, if it's mine, 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 right? If I'm closed-fisted holding on to my stuff and God bless me, with the floodgates of heaven, if he opens up the floodgates of heaven, what am I going to use those blessings on? I'm going to use it on me, right? Like my Timu account is going to jump up. My Amazon account is going to, box is going to flood because it's going to be about me. And, and it would be self-destructive for God to open up the floodgates on me if I'm selfish. And God would never want that for me. But when God sees a heart that puts him first through the tithe, he's like, now that's a heart. That's a heart that I can bless. That's a heart that can release, that I can release the floodgates of heaven on. Now, it doesn't say this. It doesn't say, test me on this and see that I don't open the floodgates of Wall Street. It doesn't say, test me on this and see if I don't put a Lamborghini in your driveway. It doesn't say, test me on this and don't see if I make your house three times bigger. Like, that's not what God says. It says, test me on this and see if I don't open up the floodgates of heaven. And what does scripture tell us about heaven? It says that we will experience the undiluted presence of Jesus, that we will experience the awesomeness of Jesus, that we will will experience incredible joy, that we will experience indescribable hope and abundant 
provision. That's heaven. In other words, when we give God the first fruits of our labor, not just tipping God, not just giving God a few bucks, not just saying, ah, here's a few dollars, but we are tithing and giving the first fruits of our labor, see if he doesn't just, that not only will he provide for you financially, but he will bless your marriage. He will bring uh, your family closer. He will expand your faith. Like God's like, listen, I will open up the floodgates of heaven if you will just put me first. Like God wants to open up the floodgates of heaven in our lives, but he's just waiting on us. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for me to trust him and to trust him with the thing that is most near and dear to us, and that's our finances and our stuff. You see, it starts with us taking a step of faith. And maybe this is an area in your life where you're hitting a brick wall in your faith journey. You're like, man, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, but when it comes to tithing, I'm just not, I can't get behind it, I'm not there. And if you've not taken this step, let me just challenge you, trust God with the tithe. It is the tithe that releases God's blessings over every other part of your life. Your marriage will be blessed. Your relationships with others will be blessed. Your, your, your hope and joy will increase. You will see things in your life, blessings in your life that you've never experienced before. Because why? Because God multiplies what is blessed. The number two, write this down. This is the second thing. And it's this, that God multiplies what is given away. God multiplies what is given away. And, and for some of you, this is about to be your aha moment. For some of you, this is going to be the thing that changes your world. And, and let's just look real quick at the miracle and what happened in Mark. And, and we already know, we know that there was 12 baskets left over, right? But how did it happen? Like, how did it happen? Uh, scripture says that Jesus gave thanks. He looked up to heaven, he gave thanks, he broke the bread, and he gave them to his disciples to do what? To give them away. And the scripture says that the disciples gave them to the people. And see, in order to feed 15 to 20,000 people, I did the math. Actually, I kind of did the math. It's an estimate. Don't quote me on it. But it would take the equivalent of three semi-trucks full of bread to feed 15 to 20,000 people. And did you know, as you read, because the gospel writers all wrote about this, it says that, uh, did you know that not one of the gospel writers say anything about all this bread just showing up the moment Jesus said amen? Like they don't say that just like mount bread appeared everywhere. They don't say that it fell from the heavens. They don't tell you how the bread came after he blessed it. But I believe this. I believe that God, Jesus gave it to the disciples. He gave those five loaves, broke them into pieces, gave them to the disciples, the two fish for them to distribute to the people. And I don't want you to miss this because here's where I believe the miracle happened. The miracle happened the moment it left the disciples' hands. It had to be this way because there's no mention of it any other way. There's this distribution of the disciples giving the back the bread to people and just kept multiplying and multiplying. And there was, there was distribution. There was doggy bags everywhere, right? Like for everyone. And that's, that's it. That's the story. That's the miracle that we see. It had to have happened the moment it left the disciples' hands. So it, be, it should be no surprise to us when we read Solomon and what he says in Proverbs Chapter 11, verse 24, he writes these words. He says, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds, stingy, right? Unholds, uh, withholds unduly. 
but becomes, uh, comes to poverty. It goes on and says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others, whoever be- becomes a blessing to others will also be blessed or refreshed. You see, this is how heaven works. This doesn't make sense in the world, but this is how heaven works, that God multiplies what is given away. And that's what God wants for you, and that's what God wants for me. Not to be closed-fisted, holding on to our stuff and our money, but to be open-handed and giving it away. This is what we do. We are blessed to be a blessing to others. And here's one final thought that I just want to share with you as we wrap up. We're not reservoirs of stuff. We are conduits of God's resources. Like our stuff, we're not a warehouse that just hold on to our stuff. We're like a distribution center that it comes in, we receive it, and then we send it back out and we give it away. We give away our stuff. We give and he multiplies. You see, God wants us so much to be generous like him. That's his character. That's who he is. And if we're to be his image bearers, if we are to be his ambassadors, if we are to be his witnesses, then just as he is generous, we should also be generous. Why? Why? Because God knows that an open-handed life is the antidote to selfishness and to materialism. You can't be selfish with an open hand. Many of us are close-fisted, holding on to everything we got. And because of that, we live a selfish life, which is not who God created us to be. But when we begin to live open-handed, we begin to become more like Jesus. And Jesus knew that that would be certain death for your selfishness. When we live a life of generosity, we can't be selfish at the same time. Being generous, it makes us like Jesus. So church, I just want you to hear today that God multiplies what he blesses and God multiplies what is given away. And God, uh, I just pray that you would come to God and say, God, everything I have, everything I have is yours. Use it for whatever you want. Use it for whatever you want. Got an extra lawnmower. You see your, your neighbor out there just cutting his whole grass with a weed eater. Hey, brother, I got this lawnmower. It's yours. You see a single mom down the road, doesn't have a table, but you've got two in your house. Maybe you could give one so that they could have a meal around their table. God blesses and multiplies what we give away. This is what we do. We are open-handed, and we always want to be a church that leads the way in extravagant generosity. Because we know that we're more blessed to give than to receive. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for your generosity. Lord, I don't know about the rest of the people in the room, but God, you have been so generous towards me. Lord, you took a lost, angry, full of sin kid you received me into your arms. You didn't have to do that. You didn't have to rescue me from myself. You didn't have to rescue me from my sin. You didn't have to rescue me from
hatred and my anger and my unforgiveness, but you did. You did because you're a generous God who loves your creation. Lord, I just want to say thank you. Lord, thank you for the blessings in my life. Thank you for how you have multiplied those blessings when I've been faithful. Lord, I pray that that each and every one of us in this room, that we would live a life of extravagant generosity. Not because we have to, Father, if there's someone in this room today who's never experienced your generosity, Father, maybe there's someone in here who is like me, is sitting in their chair and they're angry. They're holding on to unforgiveness. They're rebelling. They're living in sin. Father, they're tired and exhausted of it. Father, I pray that they would know that all they have to do is come to you. All they have to do is ask you for the blessing of salvation in their life. So if that's you this morning, if you're living a life filled with selfishness and anger and hurt and unforgiveness, sin, you don't have to live that way anymore. Just call out to God today. Just say, Jesus, I am a sinner. I'm lost. I'm hurting, Lord. I'm so full of anger. I'm so full of bitterness. I'm so full of just junk. I don't want to live that way anymore. So Jesus, would you come and come into my life? Would you rescue me from my anger and hurt and bitterness? Would you forgive me of my sin? And would you bring me joy? Father, you're so good to us. We thank you for loving us. God, we thank you that 
you have been a blessing in our lives. Lord, help us to be a blessing in the lives of people around us. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, church, we're going to stand up together and we're going to close in worship. And we're going to sing this song together. I just want to invite you to sing it with a, a heart and an attitude of gratitude. Right? Like we have so much to be thankful for. As we enter into this week of Thanksgiving, what a beautiful way to start that week out just by singing with hearts of gratitude. And maybe as you're singing, maybe you want to just think about some of the blessings in your life. And maybe you just want to find yourself as you sing, saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my friends. Thank you for so many blessings in my life. So can we just stand together? And as you do, we want to, obviously every week, we invite you to come and spend time in prayer. These altar area, this up front here, it's, it's here for you. Our house is your house. You come, spend time in prayer. If you want someone to pray with you, I'm on the front row. Or even better, grab someone next to you and say, hey, would you come pray with me? But let's worship our Lord with hearts of gratitude this morning.